Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to another edition of TBL News, the pod. This is your playoffs round one and two rundown. We will get to those round one and two matchups here in just a minute. But first, we're going to start out with big story at number one. And we're going to be starting out talking about last year's Albany Patroons who finished their regular season with a record of 21-3, and scoring 480 more points than their opponents. They won the Northeast by three games over Atlantic City and were a Paul Parks buzzer beater in Game 3 of the finals away from claiming the Lily. The 2023 edition of the team, which saw the departure of star guard Anthony Mosby in the preseason, as Mosby was signed by Sudbury 5 of the NBLC, where he averaged 19.5 points a game, finished 20-4, and four, outscoring opponents by 339 points. Trev Weish is the only current member of the Patroons who was part of that 2022 team last year, whereas he was the spark plug off the bench last season on whom the team could count on for scoring a hair under 10 points a game. Weish was thrust into a role as a go-to from the very start of this season. In Albany's opening game against the Stallions this year, Weish indicated that he was more than up to the task of being the team's leading basket getter, scoring 22. However, Albany did lose that game 115 to 110, but obviously scoring 22 points in the first game of the year, showing that he was more than willing to take on the tall task of being the go-to guy for the Patroons this season. Albany would win 15 of their next 16 games, including a March 31st 96-91 win over the eventual NBLC champion, the London Lightning, when Weish would make his first TBL All-Star Game appearance, going 7-14 from the floor en route to 16 points in that All-Star Game. The 2022 Patroons won 12 regular season games by at least 20 points, whereas this year's team did so eight times. Last year's Patroons had seven players average double-digit scoring, led by A.J. Mosby's 20.4 points a game. This year's team also had seven players averaging double-digit scoring, led by Trev Weish's 20.1 points per game. Last year's team had to go through Kokomo to get to Shreveport in the finals. If Albany defeats the Red Hot Rogues, led by all-star Armani Chaney and his 29 points a game, and if Kokomo advances past St. Louis, the Bobcats and Patroons will meet again with a chance to go to the finals. Shreveport will face the team with the best record in all of the TBL, the Padawatomi Fire, in their conference finals matchup. In the five games the two teams have played against one another, Padawatomi has won three and Shreveport two. Where Shreveport's wins have been totaled by a margin of 18 points, Padawatomi's have been an average of 27. So, should statistics be any indication, there is a good chance that the road to the Lily will go through Shawnee, Oklahoma. If Albany can make their way to the finals, and if they indeed meet the fire, it's no stretch to say that they'll need a remarkable effort from Weish, in particular to overcome a balanced and mighty fire team which excels on both sides of the ball. But thus far in the playoffs, Weish has struggled, albeit in two games against one of the league's best defenses in Atlantic City, with performances of 3 and 14 points in his first two playoff games. With that being said, the Patroons nonetheless managed to advance past the Gambits, the team which supplanted Albany as the beast of the Northeast with a 21-3 regular season record. So perhaps the green and gold can bring back a title to the capital for the second time, even if their leading scorer is held in check. But if the supporting cast is forced to pick up too much slack against a team in Padawatomi, which boasts the reigning TBL MVP Deshaun Munson, reigning TBL Defensive Player of the Year Lyle Hexham, and first-team All-TBL guard Chuck Guy, the Raptors at the Washington Avenue Armory may have to wait another year before they are adorned with yet another banner. 
Moving on to big story two now, the rivalry between Kokomo's Derek Hawk Hawthorne and Glass City's Chris Ice Darrington gained more fuel as both players finished the regular season off right. Hawthorne ended the Bobcats' first place upper Midwest season with a 41-point performance against its first-round playoff matchup, the Jamestown Jackals. Darrington, on the other hand, finished his regular season with 31 points against Derby City. After each star's excellent performance, the question remains, who deserves upper Midwest player of the year? Both players made ample cases, both lead their respective teams in scoring and assists. They each also have aided the defensive efforts, both averaging over one steal per game. So what stands out for them individually? For Hawthorne, it's simple. He was the best player on the best team with the best record, leading Kokomo to a 21-9 record compared to Glass City's 17-9 record, a case which could be made that Hawthorne is the upper Midwest player of the year. Now, diving deeper into the statistics... You see that Darrington has a more impressive scoring season, both his and Hawthorne's best ability. Darrington averaged 30.6 points per game compared to Hawthorne's 24.9. He also shot more efficiently than Hawthorne, shooting 47.3% from the field compared to Hawthorne's 44.3, both fantastic numbers. Darrington does hold a lower three-point percentage by just under 3% difference and a lower free throw percentage by 2%, but is shooting five more free throws per game. While Hawthorne had a fantastic year leading Kokomo to first place, first place wasn't enough to make a better case for the Upper Midwest Player of the Year. Now, it's time to take a look at some of the matchups from this past couple of days in the TBL playoffs, which are now underway. We'll start off on Tuesday, May 30th, in a matchup of Northeast teams, the Atlantic City Gambits and the Syracuse Stallions, a game which saw the Gambits defeat the Stallions 102-88. For Atlantic City, Frank Turner, 20 points on 8 of 11 shooting. Leon Freeman Daniels, 19 points. For Syracuse, Charles Markard, 24 points. As for the Albany Patroons, they defeated the Reading Rebels on the same night, a 111-96 win for the Albany Patroons. For Albany, Arsenio Arrington, 26 points on 12 of 16 from the field, 7 rebounds to go along with that 75% shooting performance. Travis Weish, once again, we mentioned him early on in the show, 23 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists, an all-around solid game from Travis Weish. For the Albany Patroons, as for Redding, Anthony Lee, 27 points on 10 of 20 from the field. And Akil Carr, 25 points and 4 assists. On the same night in the Southeast, the Georgia Soul took on the Coastal Georgia Buccaneers. And they defeated the Buccaneers by a score of 135 to 128. Georgia, Patrell Rogers, 31 points and 6 rebounds. San Antonio Brinson, by the way, that's an awesome name. 30 points, 12 of 17 from the field and 12 rebounds. And Dion Berrien, 21 points, 17 rebounds and 6 assists on the night. As for Coastal Georgia, who came up 7 points short against Georgia, they had DeMonta Wright leading the way for them. 28 points and 16 boards. A double-double for DeMonta Wright. Avery Joyner, 22 points and 7 boards. And Keontae Houston, 21 points, 7 boards on the night. The Newfoundland Rogues took on the Raleigh Firebirds. They took down the Firebirds 122-110. to Newfoundland was led by Armani Chaney, who dropped a triple-double, 26 points, 15 boards, and 10 assists. Marquise Collins himself had a double-double with 24 points and 11 assists, excuse me, 11 rebounds. And Jackery Archie, 22 points for Newfoundland. Raleigh was led by Ahmad Abdullah with 32 points for the Firebirds. Looking at the lower Midwest, the St. Louis Griffins defeated the Owensboro Thoroughbreds 137-119. There were no stats available 
for that game. Now moving on to the upper Midwest, we mentioned the Kokomo Bobcats earlier in the day. Yeah, they, they defeated the Jamestown Jackals 110-101. to They were led by Larry Plummer with 25 points. He went perfect from the line, 13 of 13. Derek Hawthorne, 22 points, 12 of 13 from the field, or excuse me, from the free throw line. 25 of 26 were those two from the free throw line. Kokomo is a team, 41 of 45 from the free throw line. That's good for 91%. There's an old saying that my basketball coach in high school would tell our team all the time. There's two things that don't last long. Dogs that chase after cars and teams that can't hit free throws in the postseason. And uh, Kokomo making sure that they are not like the dog chasing after the car. They knocked down their free throws in the postseason. And they needed pretty much every single one of them. 45 free throws. 91%. They shoot, say, 80%. That's roughly... 36, 37 free throws out of 45. We're talking about a different game. We're talking about a five-point game, which could completely change the narrative. Uh, could give Jamestown a little bit more hope down the stretch. Every single free throw crucial down the stretch, every single possession. This, this is what happens when the postseason comes around. Things can get pretty tense, and really it's about which team screws up first and uh, Kokomo making sure it wasn't them. The Glass City Wranglers taking on the West Virginia grind. As the Wranglers defeat the grind 113-105, to Christopher Darrington, 41 points for Christopher Ice Darrington, 12-23 from the field, 14-17 from the free throw line. Again, that's something you're going to see. The teams that move on are typically the teams that can knock down free throws. Again, those freebies are big time when it comes down the stretch. Those are what can make or break a team. Again, you have to control what, we, what you can control down the stretch of the postseason is where everything matters. Of course, that seems pretty self-explanatory, but you really don't realize how slim the margin of error is when it comes to the postseason. Moving on to the Central now, the Enid Outlaws defeated the Little Rock Lightning 130-110. to Martavius McKnight, 48 points on 15-24 from the field, 14-15 from the free throw line. Caleb Coleman, 23 points, and Marvin Johnson, 22 points and an avalanche of offense for the Enid Outlaws. As for Little Rock, Taylor Banks led the way with 23 points. Moving out west now, the South Bay Flash defeated the San Diego Sharks 120-101. Christopher Bradford, 30 points on 12 of 23 from the field, 11 boards, 6 assists, 5 steals. Fantastic stat line from Christopher Bradford. Patrick Rittman, 27 points on 10 of 15 from the field. Anthony Fitzpatrick, 20 points, 9 boards, and 4 assists for South Bay. As for San Diego, they were led by Brandon Moss, who dropped 26 points on 13 of 16 from the free throw line, 5 rebounds, and 6 assists. Not a bad day from the line from Brandon Moss, but still wasn't enough as the San Diego Sharks fall to South Bay by 19 points. The Salem Capitals defeated the Vancouver Volcanoes 117-114. Preston Woodfield led the way with 38 points on 14 of 22 from the field. Joseph Billinger Jr., 26 points on 12 of 12 from the free throw line. As for Vancouver, Jalen Richardson, 31 points. Deswan Newton, 23.7 rebounds. Martin Adams, 20 points on 7 of 7 shooting. 10 boards, a double-double for Martin Adams of Vancouver. As the Volcanoes season comes to a close against the Salem Capitals. That concludes the first round matchups. We're going to move on to the second round matchups. As June 1st brought the Seattle Superhawks. They brought them up against the Salem Capitals. It was a really close game, a really entertaining game. The Seattle Superhawks come out on top 116-114. to As Michael Carter III, 25 points on 
10 of 10 from the free throw line. Alfonso Anderson, 19 points, 11 boards, 3 assists, and 3 steals for Salem. Isaiah Gentry, 31 points on 11 of 16 from the field, 4 boards, 5 assists. As for the South Bay Flash, they moved on after beating San Diego to take on the Long Beach Blue Waves, and they took down the Blue Waves 112-89. Hard to stop South Bay so far. Christopher Bradford, 27 points. Patrick Rittman, 20 points. 20 points for Sheldon Wright of Long Beach. However, Long Beach got the last laugh in the next game, and it was a really close one, a thriller. A 122-119 victory over South Bay for Long Beach. Christopher Bradford, 34 points, 10 boards, a double-double. Patrick Rittman, 30 points of his own on four boards and seven assists to go along with it. Long Beach, Mark Carter, 29.7 boards and four assists. And Bernard Johnson Jr., 22 points, four rebounds, and nine dimes to go along with Mark Carter's 29 in a Long Beach victory over South Bay. Moving on to the Seattle Superhawks, they defeated the Salem Capitals in the next game, 109-106, another close game between these two teams. Seattle won these two games by a total margin of five points. Talk about nail biters. This is what we talk about whenever it comes to the postseason. Darrell Tisdale Jr., 29 points on 12 of 13 from the line. Five boards. Alfonso Anderson, 23 points, 13 boards. Isaiah Gentry, 26 points of his own. We have no final scores from two of our other games that were on the schedule. Again, one matchup between Salem and Seattle on June 4th. That might be because Seattle swept Salem 2-0 and Long Beach versus South Bay. That was definitely not a sweep. As we mentioned, South Bay won one game. Long Beach won one game. That game was from June 4th. No final score reported. So we do not have that information for you. And we do apologize for that. But that gets us up to date. The conference finals are coming up this next week. It should be a really exciting finish to the season as we head down the home stretch. Thank you guys so much for listening to TBL News, the pod. This is your round one and round two episode running down the games from the past week and a half in the first two rounds of the TBL playoffs. We'll see you guys in a week. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you all next time.